So today we enter into a really important and really familiar passage in Luke's gospel. It's really familiar because we as a church draw our mission and our vision from the same text that Jesus does here, Isaiah 61. So a cool thing happens when characters in the New Testament say things or quote parts of scripture is that they want us to to keep going, right? Like when, when a, a speaker or a writer in the New Testament uh, says something up into at one point, but there's still more, uh, it's like when someone starts to sing the first part of a song and then stops mid-chorus and it's just going to bug you all day if you don't finish that thought, right? So let's, let's try this. I'm going to regret this. <laughs> We're going to strike this from the recording. Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy, but here's my number. Okay, awesome. Pretty good. Excellent. Wake up, everybody. Man, it drives me nuts, the line in that song, before you came into my life, I missed you so bad. That is the craziest line in any song. Thanks. Thanks for humoring me, guys. That's a little what's going on here. So when Jesus stops where he stops... His synagogue hearers have really deeply grooved prophetic imaginations, and they would have kept going in their heads and in their hearts. Comfort for those who mourn, provision for Zion's grieving, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness for the display of God's splendor. That's what Jesus is talking about here in his mission statement. This passage is also really important in this epiphany season that we've been in because it continues to trace Jesus' early life and begins to, to focus and to manifest and to illumine who Jesus is and what it looks like for God to be with us. Most of the time when we say epiphany, we think like that aha moment like in cartoons where the light bulb goes off above your head. But the season of epiphany... It's a little more of a slow burn. It requires a little more attention. It makes us ask for insight and vision to see and to participate in God's kingdom, which has come and is still on its way in Christ. I think it's a fascinating thing the way the Gospels and our liturgical calendar tell this story because we have a whole season of Advent and Christmas where we celebrate Jesus being born like God being with us. And Epiphany happens the first Sunday of the year, and we celebrate the presentations of the gifts to the gift of God by the Magi. And then the next week, our readings, and in, in often in the Gospels, about 30 years goes by <laughs> of Jesus' life, of Jesus being with us, of sharing our every experience and our growth and our life phases and the joys and difficulties, and it kind of gets collapsed down. And then the story picks up with the beginning of Jesus' ministry of working with us, like pulling us into God's renewal project, similarly how Sarah Neff uh, described a couple weeks ago, the rafting guide, being with and working with us to pull our life vest out of the waters when we can't do it. And then this whole story, this gospel good news story, 
culminates with the final week of Jesus' life in which God is most obviously working for us, doing something on our behalf, in our place, something we wouldn't and couldn't do for ourselves, Jesus bearing our sins on the cross and interrupting and canceling the power of sin and death. So we, we have this epiphany story, this birth story, this epiphany story, and then Jesus' ministry. It's happening. It's showing us what it looks like for God to be with us and to act and work with us in this world. The story last week of Israel that Charlene told from Isaiah 30 of the wilderness-dwelling Israelites ready to turn back towards Pharaoh in Egypt, like the devil that they knew was a little more appealing than, than the life with God of unknown provision and grace that they were invited into is actually kind of the same story right before the passage that Betty Jean just read in Luke. Like, uh, before Jesus, the first line she read was, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Before that, he was driven by that same Spirit to testing and temptation in the wilderness. Remember, wilderness is not always a place of loss or failure, but it's often a place to, to meet with God. If you're in the wilderness, it's not always because you did something bad, but you should have your eyes open. It's a place to have God's purposes and our weaknesses revealed to us. So Jesus, this is at the beginning of Luke 4, was in the desert not 40 years, but 40 days I think that's significant because it looks and feels a whole lot like Jesus gathering up Israel's calling, who they were supposed to be and how they were supposed to be in himself. And instead of falling prey to temptations that were buffeting him, buffeting them, temptations of security, turn that stone and make it bread, be secure, be fed, prestige, power, jump off the top, uh, and you'll be saved by the angels. Instead of falling prey to those temptations, Jesus spoke God's truth to those lives. While Jesus being born, John says, as the word became become flesh, Jesus' faithfulness in the face of testing is a result of having those words metabolized and getting them in his bones, and then they're being embodied and infleshed. This is the word infleshed. Jesus' words of God's words, truth. So then Jesus shows back up to his friends and his families in his hometown, and I wonder what that was like. Like, what did Jesus look like? After 40 days battling the accuser, the Satan, in the wilderness, if he had, would have even been recognizable to them. Like, what does being, quote, in the power of the Spirit look like? I wonder that. I had, had like, a mild version of this experience myself. Um, uh, earlier in my life, I was fresh out of high school, and I had a pretty powerful spiritual experience at the end of high school, the summer before college, where I was called by Jesus to a deeper life of discipleship and commitment to God. Like I got 
never in my life known a day um, when I didn't know that God existed or that Jesus loved me, but I, beca- I think I became a disciple of Jesus that summer. And then I went off to a college that all my friends went to one college, and I went to the other one, and I didn't know anyone. I, uh, I didn't know that the next season was going to be a season in the wilderness. You don't enroll in wilderness seasons on purpose, right? But during that year away, I faced a lot of temptations and, like, all the normal, like, freshman and college ten- temptations. But maybe most significantly the tempt- was, like, the temptation to be my own person, to make my own rules, to abandon this call and commitment to growing in Christ, which I had begun on. And then just to go back to Egypt, like that, that's the option there. Like, I knew a friend, uh, this was a hometown friend, who she went to a different college, and when she went to college, she showed up and didn't know anyone like me, and she had everyone start calling her by her middle name, which is great and fine, but then it was super awkward when she came back home, and all of her old friends knew her by one name, and, and we knew her, and new friends knew her by another name, like, that was that was kind of the space I was walking. I literally could have been anyone I wanted to be at this place. And maybe that's the season that you're in. Like this in-between space, this liminal moment where you're kind of negotiating who you've been and who you imagine yourself becoming and you don't really know how to bridge those two people. Or maybe you're not all that sure of what the faith that you inherited or that you've known has to do with any of this. Welcome to the wilderness. Like our, our wildernesses rarely have like a welcome to the wilderness town of one sign on them. Sometimes you can sneakily wind up in the wilderness and not even know it. The good news is that Christ has already been there. He knows. He resisted. And Jesus came out starving, because he's a human being, but in one piece, in the power of the Spirit. Because Jesus did, you can, I can, we can. And St. Paul reminds us, we have access to the same Spirit. That, quote, raise Jesus from the dead, that Spirit lives in you and will give life to your mortal bodies. So epiphany happens, revelation, unveiling, understanding. Epiphany happens in these disorienting, strange, fearful, and often lonely places called wilderness. And out of that, Jesus emerges with a kind of clarity of mission from that time of scarcity and testing. And then, so, and then Jesus goes back into his old place, the town of Nazareth, where he was raised. And in our terms, this was like the church that Jesus grew up in or the church that Jesus' family and friends populated. Like I know Katie Tomlin had the chance to preach at your grandparents' church this winter. And like I get to preach at a church that my parents belong to. What a really strange thing to be God's mouthpiece around the same people that like changed your diapers or like remember all your awkward phases like Jinko jeans in middle school do you guys know what those are like yeah cool not cool 
uh, or like frosted tips in, 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 in high school. Like this happened to you too, right, Katie? Ish, yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but here Jesus is, standing up front on the Sabbath in his hometown, unrolling the scroll. And this is the sort of production that like required an assistant, right? They didn't have like devotional slim leather study Bibles, right? This was bulky and physical. And to further complicate things, there's not a whole lot of evidence that Isaiah 60 was up on the lectionary for that week, like in the queue on Jesus' Saturday to preach. It's not serendipitous. Jesus flipped to this passage on purpose because this is the vision that that epiphany would yield. I dare say it is the blueprint for our encounters with God too. Whenever we acquire more clarity of who God is and what God's mission is like, we look at Jesus and we join in a spirit-anointed mission. We look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to get involved, join in his spirit-anointed mission. And this is, what it, this is what he says it is. Good news to the poor. Gospel to the poor. Release to the prisoners. Sight to the blind. Release to the oppressed in the year of the Lord's favor. I want to note three things. There's so many more things to know, but I want to look at three things and then like tie them quickly together uh, with a later encounter in Luke's gospel and then a, a little bit of a personal story. That's our roadmap. It's a lot. We're going to do it. It's great. First thing is release. I did not stutter. I wasn't mistaken by saying release twice in the same verse. Luke records Jesus really hitting hard on this theme of release. Most translations kind of smooth this over, but it is the same word twice in one verse. The prisoners might be released and the oppressed might be released. This is an important note since also the way the Bible talks about our relationship with God. Even as Israel was enslaved by very real powers in Egypt, they experienced very real physical oppression in Babylon and then later at the hands of the Roman Empire, they and we also experience enslavement and oppression by no less real but way more subtle and less visible forms of spiritual powers and principalities. These are intangible, destructive forces of sin and death which test and tempt us not only to cause us to, to turn away from God, but also they enlist us. They pull us into that sick work of enslaving and oppressing others, enslaving and oppressing ourselves, contributing to the suffering of this world. So the Bible talks about release from that, forgiveness, Re-entering into a relationship with God is to be forgiven, released from these offenses, from these weights which are too heavy for us to carry. These sins, these tapes that run in the background of our minds that we forget that we're hearing because they're just the white noise of the way things are and they create distance between you and God, between you and other people, between you and creation. Sin binds 
but God releases. Sin binds, but God releases. Start, here's a little bit of homework for this week. Start an iPhone note or whatever your note app is in your phone. Of all the ways that you see sin, capital S, or sins, lowercase s, operating in your everyday life, like around you. I just start, start listing. Like, this is the power that things like peer pressure have over you, that make you make choices apart from being with God and resting in God's love. This is the, the power of negative body image or the fear of loneliness or failure or imposter syndrome or white supremacy or sexual addiction, exploitation, and objectification. This is the power of consumerism, the ways we commodify people and good things. This is male hegemony. This is the myth of redemptive violence. This is hypermobility. Take this list and don't just make it a list. Pray for release. Pray for forgiveness. Release somebody else or, or move them towards release. This is like an important and subtle clause of the Lord's Prayer, that the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples later in Luke. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who wrong us. Again, that, that word is release. He's, he's teaching us to pray. Release us from slavery and oppression as we release others from the slavery and oppression their debts to us. Like our forgiveness flows from God's and is related to God's. If we've been released, how could we, why would we hold someone else in debt? How could we, why would we oppress or enslave someone else if we've been released? The prophet Isaiah, through the words of the prophet Jesus, lays out hope for a time and a place where there is release from these imprisoning and oppressive forces that we'd first be released and we would release others from the sixth cycle of sin and death towards forgiveness in healing. That's one thing, release. Second thing is sight. Like, we gotta note, if it, it, we, our Bibles aren't set up like this, but we've got to note that Jesus doesn't exactly quote Isaiah 61 verbatim. Like it doesn't exactly match our version of that. We might wonder, hey, Jesus, where do you come up with that whole verse about recovery of sight for the blind? I don't see that in my Bible. But rather than considering it like an error or a mistake, I think it was very purposeful, right? Like purposeful in the way that a jazz musician musically or like a poet or a really awesome rapper lyrically varies slightly off of a theme to evoke something, to evoke more than one thing at a time or to connect things that aren't always connected. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. It's really cool. Again, Jesus is a way better reader of the Bible than we are. What if Jesus is compressing all the wonderful promises of freedom and deliverance from slavery and imprisonment but also from mourning and despair into a statement about blindness and sight. 
But keep in mind that this is happening exactly in the middle of those two statements about release. I think there's a slide up there. <coughs> like, this might be a little bit of an intricate point, but what if this sight of the blind is like the best news at all because it's a promise, not only of like a, a status change or a location change, like we're no longer in prison, we're no longer oppressed, but it's also a sensory change. Like, like to go from not just unwilling but unable to see to like sighted, a full participant. Go home and YouTube some of these videos when these when like little kids or even adults get like a cochlear implant or or something that gives them a sense that they've never experienced before. And the way like just look at their eyes, it's crazy. Like this is the good news of this is that we become sighted, no longer walking around with blindfolds on, but now we have vision. Now we're willing and able and learning to see what Jesus sees. What if that's the best news here? Release, sight, jubilee is the third thing. Uh, and I think it's the third thing to note because it's a little enigmatic to us, this phrase, the year of the Lord's favor. It comes from Leviticus 25, and it's a command, but really it's a gift from the Lord to God's people told through Moses. They were given, like, development plans for this new space of freedom and flourishing out of slavery. The scale, they, like, scaled up the sort of Sabbath-keeping they were constituted by at Sinai. Not just rest after six days. We remember, keep holy the Sabbath, right? Is there a Sabbath slider there? Cool. So, like, they're used to keeping Sabbath. But they're also not going to then plant, their, they're going to plant their fields for six years and not on the seventh. This is, this is the sabbatical year. This echoes God's six days at creating and a final day of relishing and resting in the very goodness of it all. But not only were, were they not to plant on this sabbatical year, but they were also supposed to let the land rest too. Like they were supposed to let it freelance and produce what it might produce on its own. And this is kind of a testament to the creativity and freedom inherent in creation apart from humanity's stewardship. Like, and not only would the landed people get rest, so would servants and laborers and immigrant guests, livestock, wild animals. And then on the Sabbath of Sabbaths, something like every 50 years, seven times seven is 49, in the 50th year, there would be jubilee, right? And jubilee starts with a trumpet sound to initiate it. That's so cool. I, I like to think I, I would have learned an instrument, maybe a trumpet, if I was around then, because you get to do awesome things. Like blow a trumpet, Jericho walls down. Blow a trumpet, jubilee starts. It's like a great job, right? But during jubilee, not only would like the normal sabbatical setup occur, 
but any land sold in the previous half century would be given back. Any debts canceled, interest returned. Some rabbis even interpreted that jubilee meant that all the fences should be taken down because the land was being returned to its rightful owner, the Lord God. Can you imagine this? <laughs> this is crazy. Like we're really liable to lump this in with the other parts of Leviticus that seem really insane and outmoded and impractical and inconvenient, like wearing, like not wearing polyester blends. That's a thing in Leviticus. But this, as far as I can tell, was a gift from God to establish a just society, not built on scarcity, but out of abundance and relationality and trust in God. It sounds a lot like our society, right? Right. No, not right. So this is all predicated, though, on a life built concentrically on the rest of the God who rests and gives rest. Like every seven days, every seven years, every 50 years. But this is also a really real and current challenge to us and a vision for us. This is God's ideal. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? This is what the kingdom of God looks like. A concentric life of release built on its smallest part. Like you don't get sabbaticals or jubilee without doing the small thing, Sabbath, right? And then, uh, so, so you build up from the center out to the bigger parts. But also the center kind of contains all the big things, too. Pastor A.J. Swoboda writes, a Sabbath, just the, the end of the week when you rest in God's rest, a Sabbath is a weekly jubilee. A Sabbath is a weekly jubilee during which the powerful are humbled and brought low and the poor and lowly are gifted space and love and generosity. When God comes, debt and riches and the order of things will be destabilized and turn on its head. And God has come in Jesus to be for us, to work with us, and maybe most importantly, to be with us. And for as utterly impractical and unrecognizable as any of this seems, it sure does witness to a new logic of a coming kingdom. Like a kingdom with a, a really different new chief economist than what we're used to, right? In Jesus, this is so good, at the end of, at the end of this passage, he stands up, reads this passage, and at the end, Jesus, in like an ancient Near Eastern mic drop moment of awesome, rolls the scroll back up, gives it to the attendant, and sits down. Like, <laughs> there, right? Then he kind of comments. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled as you heard it. That's what he says. And the rest of the gospel is the good news that the kingdom has come and God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. That this is being, has been, will be fulfilled as you heard it. So that's a lot. Uh, we, we just like dropped a lot. I think it's really cool. We'll, we'll breeze through a, a couple things 
real fast, but this show this keeps showing up in Luke's gospel and, and, and then in Acts and beyond. Like that those are the reverberations and the ripples of this new thing, this crazy new thing attached and fulfilled to the fulfilling the old thing that has happened and is happening in the world. So Luke 18, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. We'll also have it up. You might know this story as the story of the rich young ruler. We're never told he's young. He is rich. A certain ruler with a lot of money. Jesus happens upon him in Luke 18 and has this interaction with him. And he, he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Basically, how do I participate in the kingdom of God? And Jesus, after a couple probing questions, making sure he's well-credentialed in the things that he should already know, like commandments, and he knows all those things, Jesus kind of drops the bomb on him that he, in order to participate in the kingdom of God, needs to experience a personal jubilee, basically. He says, sell all you have and give it to the poor. Free up your riches and you will be free in this kingdom, is what he's telling him. I like to think that this is kind of Jesus being like this really terrifying spiritual Marie Kondo character to this rich young man, right, or rich man, right? It would terrify me. Uh, it just shows up so serene and says, that does not spark in you the love and joy of God. Get rid of it. Th thank it before it goes, right? But he says, come, follow me. Participate in the kingdom. And then, you know, he's really sad because he's, he's figuring out. It doesn't really say what he did. It just says that he's sad. You would be too. Um, and he, he talks about a camel going through the needle of an eye and a rich person inheriting the kingdom of God, yada, yada, yada. And then the crowd says, who then can be saved and Jesus' answer is, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus is asking him to experience a personal jubilee, release of his possessions. Go down a few verses later. This is the next passage in Luke 18. And Jesus encounters... On his way up to Jerusalem, you always go up to Jerusalem, he encounters a blind man in Jericho. And the blind man will not stop, like, encountering Jesus, will not leave him alone. He keeps saying, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Notice son of David is an anointed character, a Christ Messiah character. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus then asked the man, what do you want? And the man, man, it would be so good if we all knew what to answer Jesus when he says, what do you really want, like this man did. He says, I want to see. That's all he wants. He, I just want to see. And Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And other people also saw this and praised God. This is amazing. This is, again, Jesus' mission happening. Release. Sight to the blind. 
that begets more sight to more blind people, gaining sight and figuring out who Jesus is and what God is doing in their midst. See how these are all kind of connected, these links between forgiveness and release and sight and jubilee, that participating in eternal life means getting your eyes opened and your life released to the God to whom you belong. That's what Jesus is doing. Like that epiphany yields a jubilee. That, that, that's it. That's, that's what we're doing for the rest of time. Epiphany and jubilee, right? Um, last, I, I just want to close with a quick story. And this might be a mistake because uh, a story ha happened to me um, the week between Christmas and New Year's. I was on vacation, um, uh, like many of us were uh, in some way or another, and my whole family got sick, one after another. Like, 24 hours, every single day of the week, someone's sick. And when, it, when my number came up, and it was my turn, I was awake at like 3 a.m. with fever dreams, and I would go, I would like do that pendulum swing of like sweating, then I'm freezing, and then I'm sweating, and then I'm freezing, and you're having crazy thoughts, and it's the week between the holidays, and so you're in that introspective mode where you're, you're evaluating your life in 2018, figuring out what, what you need to do and be better in 2019, things you need to say sorry to God about for things that you missed or screwed up and uh, things that you want to thank God about um, from the last year. So I'm in that headspace in a fever dream. And now I'm going to talk about it to you guys. And I can't promise it's going to communicate to y'all well because you are waking and probably have like 98 degree body temps. So, so just bear with me. But I'm having this, this, this moment and I'm evaluating who I am at the end of 2018. And one of the things that occurs to me is that 2018 was a massive year of reckoning and learning and repenting and being in a little bit of a wilderness unknown and a little bit of an epiphany space, uh, particularly related to like thinking about and observing our country um, racially. Like that, that's something, and it's, it's work that many of us have been at here for the last couple years and will continue. Um, but I, I came to this realization, like, I am now taking for granted some things that, that I, I wouldn't have even been aware of uh, for our country and for those closest to me interactions that I have. Some of this was helped by, by uh, uh, becoming Simeon's dad um, at the end of 2017 and, and, and growing with him through 2018. Um, but I realized, like, now I see things that I didn't see before and that I can't unsee. Something happened that I was given the gift of sight to some extent. Um, and, and then, so that's cool, that's a great insight, that's great. Congratulations, right? But the, the, I think what I was aided by whatever drugs or spiritual insight were, that was given to me at that time was that this was not just a good thing that was happening. And like, good thing, Jesus list, grocery list of good things. Release from prison, sight to the blind, release from oppression, jubilee. All good in and of themselves. 
But what I think I realized was what I had been experiencing, largely unbeknownst to myself, was this gaining of vision that was that mirrored and participated in the sort of vision that we're given as we spend eternity with God. Um, again, I'm not explaining this really well. There's a really fancy Greek word I'm trying not to use, but it's called prolepsis. And it means that you're doing something in advance as if it already exists, right? So like the, the, the Bible talks about the end of all things being us standing before God with perfect vision, seeing God and being perfectly seen by God. So vision is part of us living in eternity, which starts now. And so that, that for me put, put, put 2018 in such a bigger context. Uh, something, again, that I largely don't control that, but that was given as a gift and a challenge to me and to us, and y'all have, have helped in that process, that by gaining vision and the sort of courage that it takes to see the truth and to not look away, and then, you know, to see it again and to see a little more, even if it's outrageous or makes us feel ugly or sinful or violent or racist, like, that if we keep doing that, we're participating in God's eternity, in God's grace. Because that same light that we see all these ugly things is also the light, the light of God that will see ourselves as God sees us in Christ Jesus, as beautiful and complete and pleasing and beloved. That's, that's why uh, St. Paul talks about uh, to the Corinthians in his first letter, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face with clarity, with epiphany. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I've been fully known. So uh, I, I, I encourage and entreat you all that w when we're joining, when we're looking at Jesus and joining in the spirit anointed mission, you're not just filling up your calendar with good things to do. You're not just even developing good character traits so that people will think that, that like you're a decent human, but you are participating in eternity, in God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom, which has been fulfilled as you've heard it and is still being fulfilled, this long inauguration and runway towards eternity. You and I are, are in that. That's huge. That's that's so good. I, I wish that I was more sane so, so that y'all would trust me more, but I promise this is so true. This is what happens when we look on and are looked on by Jesus. Hebrews 12 calls him or says that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Will y'all pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for Epiphany, and we thank you for Jubilee. Uh, epiphany seems so impossible to us, but with you, all things are possible. Open our eyes so we might see. Um, tune, tune our senses so that, that we can see uh, how you see and who you see. Um, help us do these things not because it's uh, nice, um, nice to, to, to help the poor or to give them good news, but because your kingdom 
not only includes but is founded in the poor. Um, help us release captives, not because it's a nice thing to do, but because we've once been captive and you've released us. And that's what your kingdom's like. Continue to open our eyes. Uh, continue to give us courage towards Jubilee and trust in you that you'll provide and help us rest in you because you are the God who rests and gives rest. We thank you for all these gifts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.